Give well. It's, it's interesting. I mean, we, we really do take for granted, don't we, the Bibles that we have? Um, I got an office that's full of Bibles. Um, I did a funeral this past week, and one of the things that the family said was that their mom had all these different Bibles, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't feel bad for having a number of different Bibles that I go through. Um, but again, we, uh, we kind of look at Bible distribution. How many of you remember being in the fifth grade and getting a Bible hand to you? Because that generation, I think, is gone. I remember being in the fifth grade in Canada, which is where Canadians live, and uh, they, they, I, I still remember where, you didn't know that's where Canadians live? That's where Canadians live? I still remember them coming in and saying, okay, we're gonna be given Bibles today. And I grew up in a Christian home, so it wasn't like, what is this Bible of which you speak? It was, I knew exactly what it was, and I didn't even necessarily need it, but I just remember being blown away by this man that, that gave me a Bible. I still remember taking it home and, um, and, and, and looking at it, and I remember taking it to church. So it is a, is a, it's an interesting ministry. I've also had a chance to be in some very interesting places where I've actually stumbled across some people who've come to Christ because of a, a Bible that has been given to them, and uh, I think almost in every case they were Gideon's Bible. So the offering that we just took um, will make a difference somewhere, and we just continue to pray for that ministry. If you have your Bibles, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Um, so we're continuing through all the way through Matthew's gospel, and we're actually praying not just that we can get through it. I mean, I could just stand here and, and just kind of go through it much quicker, but we're trying by the mercy of God, by the guiding of his Holy Spirit, we're working on allowing this word that we're going to, to, to read and to study to go through us. So that's kind of the process that we're through here. It's like, tell us about God, speak to us about God so that we might know him and love him and appreciate him and become more like him. So that's the reason why we have these Bible teaching times. This morning we're gonna talk about that famous story in the Bible known as the transfiguration of Jesus where Jesus is all of a sudden, in the presence of three of his disciples, he is revealed in his fullness. And so I had to just stop and think about how we consider and how we would work towards, in our culture, in our time, to greatness. How, how, do, how do we attain greatness? We just finished watching the Olympics, and we saw the greatest in the world today at all of these, how do we do it? Dedication, that's how you get there. You're dedicated. And you work and you work and you work and you try and you try and you try and you develop your skills and you develop your abilities and, and over a long period of time, the rule of 10,000, over that long period of time, you can take that skill that wasn't very good and if you work at it and work at it and work at it and the genetics is there too, all of a sudden you can attain greatness. So how do you attain, attain greatness? Well, it's, it's dedication and it's work. It's the, the forming of our minds so that we can know great things and do amazing research and we build on the body of knowledge that already exists and we grow in our dedication and our commitment and we study and we study and we get more and more and more degrees and more and more information and we become great. That's how it works. I mean, very seldom do we have, if ever, like someone and they're two or three and we can just recognize greatness. No, actually, if anything, if we begin to see it at that age, we marvel at what they're going to be like even when they're older. And I began to think that even in the Bible, in the Bible we've got people that are normal and we've got people that are great, people that are amazing. And the consistent thing in the Bible isn't just time, but it's actually God's intervention, God's interruption in their lives. Moses is just a shepherd 
But God comes down and interrupts. God comes down and um, uh, basically takes his life and puts it in a different direction, pours into him, and now he's all of a sudden Moses. And you have to say it like Charlton Heston, Mo or Yul Brenner, Moses, right? So this is one of the wrestling points that the prophets had. God would come down and he would, God would speak to them and they would say, but I'm just a nobody. And God would say, but I'm going to come alongside of you and you're going to be a great teacher or you're going to be a great prophet. And they did. And now we stand back and we go, ooh, the Apostle Paul. Ooh, Moses. Ooh, Elijah. They are great prophets because of God's great interruption. I began to think, you know, it's interesting that Jesus is the only one that I can think of in the Bible. And, and by the way, that, there's a lots of things that Jesus is the only one of, like, you know, God-man, right? So don't be shocked. But I thought about this. You do realize that when everyone saw Jesus, they, they, didn't, they didn't see him, like, as his greatness really is. They actually saw, like, a filtered version of it. They saw like a diluted version of it. Like Jesus didn't come in all of his power and all of his majesty. He actually came in, in a completely different way. We attained to greatness and Jesus just was great. Like it's, it's who he was, it was more of his nature. It wasn't something that he was honing in on. It wasn't something that he was developing. It's something that he was. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be just held on to, so he emptied himself and became human. He emptied himself. He looked at all of his fullness and he said, I choose for the glory of God, for the glory of God, I choose to surrender all that I am and to limit and that's a, that's a word that doesn't fit with God. God and limit doesn't actually fit. This is, by the way, why so many people, even today, after first service, I had a number of people come up, well, what about this and what about, I mean, it is still one of those amazing things. It, it doesn't make sense that God would dwell fully as God in man. How does that work? I don't know how it works, but his name is Jesus. I don't know how it works, but his name is Jesus. And Mary carried for nine months and then carried God. And, and, and the kids in Nazareth played with God. What did you do today? Oh, I was just playing catch with God. They didn't know that, right? But he's just Jesus. When Mary and Joseph... Um, when Jesus is 12 years old, you know the story, Luke's the only one that tells it. They go to the temple and Jesus stays afterwards and they come back and Mary and, his, uh, Mary, Mary and her husband you know, confront Jesus and say, why did you do this? And I mean, he's just a 12 year old, but he's God. And the disciples are, people are just, people, I mean, think about it, for 30 years, people just walked right by Jesus. Walked right by him, didn't even notice it. And here he is, the fullness of God in human form, and people cannot see it, completely disregard it. 
And even though he was amazing in his ministry and performed powerful miracles, there was something different. But you know what they would say? They would describe him like a prophet, but greater than. I mean, he's the best of all of them, but he still kind of fits in that category of prophet. He still fits in that category of teacher. Except for this one time, when the only time that we know of, when all of a sudden... Like the fullness of him in every way just kind of breaks through. I don't know why this event happens. I don't know why. I mean, I've always wondered, like, why wasn't this all during his teenage years? That'd freak him out. Just kind of walking around high school, right? Just full splendor. Why not to all the 12 disciples? No, just three are going to see this. And why that secrecy? Why all the hush-hush? Well, here's what it at least points out to me. It points out to me that we as followers of Jesus Christ, because that's really what interests me the most. I'm not trying to figure out what the world thinks. Um, but we as followers of Jesus Christ are probably guilty of focusing more on truths about Jesus than really dealing with the real Jesus. And so we have a set of, of, of a, by the way, I think it's historical. I think it's true. I, think, I don't think these are just ideas, meaning that they don't have like concrete reality in history. No, they have concrete reality in history. Jesus was uh, born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary. They went down to Egypt. I know the story. And they dedicated him in the temple. And then he was 12. And then he waited for a number of years. And then he became, uh, became this, this incredible teacher. And he healed the, healed the sick. And he raised the dead. And he preached amazing messages and then he died on a cross because one of his disciples, I know all these truths about him. Do you? And, and there's still a disconnect between that and the fullness of who he is. At least in my mind there is. Like I, I can still, I don't know, I, I just, I feel like spiritually speaking, like I sometimes just walk right by him. That's why sometimes worship music can be really like inspirational because it feels like we're connecting, right? For some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, it really feels like, wow, I was in the presence of God, right? But even that's different than what we see here. We're looking for this, how do I connect with Jesus Christ? And, we're, we're, and part of it is because we have, I believe many of us have settled for um, a religion Instead of a, a, a true uh, dialogue, a true conversation, a true back and forth between the creator of the universe, Jesus. And one of the reasons why we struggle in our lives is because we traded in the real Jesus for some truths about him and some principles to govern our lives and to raise our kids and to deal with our financial problems. And really, we are here to celebrate Jesus and the, the truths about him just help us understand the reality about him. But you do know that we will ever, never, 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 ever know the fullness of who he is. Because he's God. Here's how Matthew tells it. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. They've had the great confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says it means he's going to suffer. Peter rebukes Jesus. <laughs> Jesus rebukes Peter back, and then he tells him again, I'm going to go die. Verse 1, six days after that, Jesus 
took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain. Right? So this is kind of like a bit of a, a Moses opportunity, going up high onto this mountain. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, has already a number of times ascended to the top of a mountain to demonstrate his authority. He goes up onto a mountain, and they're up there by themselves, verse 2, and he was transfigured. Literally, the, the Greek word, metamorphosized. He was, he was literally changed in his being. And now all of a sudden, instead of a filtered or a diluted or a veiled version of himself, now all of a sudden, Peter and James and John could see the full reality of who he is. Now, it's, it's interesting because it's at moments like this that, that begin, to, um, begin to at least challenge some of us. Well, did that make Peter and James and John never worry about uh, their walk with Jesus Christ again? I had someone come up even after first service and they described this. So how long was it between the transfiguration and when Peter denied him? Yeah, there's lots of very interesting questions. But now for the very first time, by the grace of God, these three men now see Jesus fully transfigured, transformed before them. He emptied himself, and now he is back up to full, so to speak. Transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them, O Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to him, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents or tabernacles, literally three places where we can memorialize and to celebrate this, this great event. Three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Why, why Moses and Elijah? We really don't know, but you have to believe that in some sense it has to uh, demonstrate Jesus as coming greater than Moses, the one who gave the law, and the one who uh, was also the covenant reminder of Israel, Elijah, this great prophet, more than Elijah, more than Moses. Jesus Christ is, is standing here, and Peter's response is, listen, Jesus, you might be a little bit better, because obviously look at what you look like here, but the truth is, this is an incredible moment, and I'm to celebrate all three of you. The other gospels say Peter didn't know what he was saying because he was scared. Verbal processor, I get it, right? And he was still speaking when behold, a bright light overshadowed them. So you've got Jesus in all of his splendor and then it gets, there's more light put in on the subject. A bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see the difference? Like, listen to him. This, this really gives, it's one of my favorite texts that accentuates or underlines or drives home how Jesus Christ is just fundamentally, foundationally different than everyone else. That there's just no way for us, Jesus the king, it's almost like, well, the word king doesn't do him justice because he's not just a king. To, to just to compare him to like Charlemagne and, uh, no, he's, he's, he's so much more than that. He, Moses is this great teacher, right? And we're all impressed by all that Moses taught and all that Moses did. Where Elijah, he, he's like this famous prophet, right? Like he didn't even see death. God took him up to heaven in a whirlwind. 
And here at this particular moment, while Peter is impressed with everyone, God himself speaks into the situation and says, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. And it's Jesus. Like he just doesn't fit with Moses and Elijah. See, do you understand that? Do you understand, like, this isn't why, this is, this is why, like, the, I follow Moses and I follow Jesus. Like, those are two fundamentally different categories. So who, who's the leader of your group? Oh, it's Jesus. Who's the leader of your group? Trevor? What? I mean, it's not, uh, apologies to the Trevors. Like, it's just not the same thing. And here God himself is differentiating his son. From those that he called and go, those that he used in powerful ways, God through his power sent Moses and freed the children of Israel. God through his servant Moses came and rescued them and brought them into a new land. Like God through his power used Moses, literally revealed his law through this great teacher, Moses. And God says, yeah, like everything that, that Moses got, I gave him. Jesus has that in him. Do you recognize the difference? It's literally why the Revelation, the, the meaning the last book of the Bible, the Revelation of John, but it literally begins with the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The Revelation actually describes consistently the fact that there are, there's two kinds of power or there's two kinds of greatness. One is derived. One is one that takes something from somebody else. So the beast has great power, but it was given to him. It's given to him. And the lamb just has power. It's intrinsic. And, and, I, and I want you to realize, like, this is why it is so critical that we understand the one that we just sang about and the one that is worthy and the one that we, I, I, I challenge you to give your life to is not just another great teacher but he actually doesn't do, he can't really even fit into that category, although he teaches. He is fundamentally different in every way. God says, Moses, yeah, he's helpful. Elijah, yeah, I used him too. But Jesus, he is the one that you listen to. That's why when Jesus would speak, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And the repeated theme throughout Matthew's gospel is this. And after Jesus has finished saying these things, the people marveled, for he spoke as one with authority and not like their religious teachers. It's because he's not a religious teacher. He's not here, he's not your life coach. He's not here to give parenting advice. He's here to reign or to rule over. And, and, and what I love about this, the kingdom that he came to establish is not just like my life or even my, it's, it's literally like the universe. This is what the Bible teaches. So it just makes sense that this, if this is who he is, in the fullness of who he is, that the most natural and normal response would be, I, I should listen to the bright one in the middle. There's something different about him. There's something intrinsic within himself that draws me in and that captivates and fulfills me. It says, when the disciples heard this, verse six, they fell on their faces and were terrified. 
Like all of a sudden, light upon light upon voice, now all of a sudden, they are absolutely terrified at the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. And and this is a common theme in the Bible, actually. If you just go back and you take a look at the number of times that this happens where, where, where there is this encounter with God and humans, and by the time this encounter goes like this, God shows up, humans freak out, and God says, it's okay. God shows up, human freaks out, do not fear. And what's interesting is, is that, that statement, like do not fear, notice, what happened, notice how he says it here. Jesus touched him and said, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they, they saw no one but Jesus at all. At some level, I guess, just goes back to normal rise. It's just me. Yeah, but you look different now. Yeah, I am different, always. And now all of a sudden, he goes back they go down the mountain and people walk by him and not really notice people decide whether they want to hear him and they can just but for a brief moment all of a sudden these three disciples have been given a preview of this amazing coming attraction of Jesus Christ in his fullness and I have to just think like if part of our problem today with our struggles and how we cope with our struggles. If one of them, but hear me, I'm not here to tell about all of the ways, but one of the ways, or one of the reasons why so many of us struggle is that our understanding of who Jesus Christ is, first of all, is rather limited. We, we love certain, we talk about this, we love certain aspects of who he is, certain stories about him, and the ones that are the most comforting at that first level of introduction. The ones that are most comforting are the ones where kind of he's like us, he's a buddy. Like what you need is a friend. What you need is somebody you can, you can chum around with, you know, stand by me, look for a dead body, that kind of fun stuff, you know? It's a movie back in the day. I mean, you guys know the Stand By Me reference. Okay, great, eight of us. So rest of you, Netflix, it. it's a pretty good movie. So we literally think of Jesus as this buddy and we're just gonna go on a journey together and we're buddies and how you doing, bro? And this is Jesus. And that is so attractive to so many people. And, and I would even argue this. Like theologically, there's an element of that that's even true. Like Jesus says, I call you friends. And, and more than just friends. Like there is a, obviously Jesus stepped out of heaven. Jesus condescended, the great condescension of all, um, all history. So Jesus did empty himself and he did become this. And I, I like that fact. He's like us, tempted like us, without sin, but tempted like us. Now the, the, the problem with that is that the more that we spend time there and the more that we think about that, that friends are really, really awesome. I mean, they're great to talk to, but in moment of crisis, what do you do then? And I think this is catching us as a church. And not just this church, but the church. Is that we have spent years and years and years of making Jesus bro. And like when my life is falling apart, I don't call my bro. When my kid is diagnosed with a disease, my bro isn't that helpful. Like, I'll call and I'll ask him to beseech God that somehow my son could be healed. That's how the process works. Will you pray to the one? Listen, I mean, and, I, and I'm even grateful for those prayers. But it's the one. 
You wanna know why prayer is the best thing to do, Charles? Is because it's the connection to the one. And, and, and really why so many of us are filled with one of the reasons why so many of us are filled with like anxious and uh, anxious thoughts and, and uh, concern and worry and anxiety is because we've just got a Jesus that is a friend. And we forget to remember the fullness of who he is. Do you remember when you realized like that your mom and dad couldn't fix everything? Do you remember that moment? When all, some of you are going, what, right, you know? <laughs> now I'm telling you, yeah, I promise you. There, there will come a time and all of a sudden it's like my mom and dad cannot fix this. I remember the moment, even though I kind of worried that they couldn't fix everything, and all of a sudden I had to bypass. It's the problem with prophets. Prophets are covenant reminders. They're, they're, honestly, they're like, they're like theological doctors. They can come in and they can diagnose the problem. Have you ever had a doctor diagnose a problem? Here's your problem. Great, well, can you fix it, doc? Well, I mean, here are some things that we can do. Here are some things, no, I need you to fix it. Well, I mean, listen, it doesn't work like that, does it? You ever just looked at a doctor and begged them to heal you? Beg them to heal, I mean, sorry, it doesn't work like that. Unless you're the great physician. Then it actually works like that. So do you get the fundamental difference in terms of who Jesus is? Prophets are wonderful to come alongside and to remind us who he is. Teachers are wonderful, but I, I always concerns me whenever somebody says, well, you know what the problem is? The problem is education. Fundamentally, I don't think that's the problem. I don't think the problem with humanity is education. I don't think we can just educate our way out of this. I know a lot of very educated people that are incredibly broken. I mean, they've got tons of education. I mean, let me just prove this right now. How many of you, when you think about what's going on in your life and you've got a particular struggle, how many of you even know, like, what to do? Or I'm a very good, there's a number of people in this room that probably know, like, that God exists, that Jesus died for them. Like, there's all these things that I know, and yet it still doesn't change my heart. Because I'm more than just a thinking being. And, and, and teachers can educate and prophets can remind. And listen, education is a helpful thing. I like in a book that we've gone through recently as a staff, it reminds us of this, that education or thinking through things or rationality is a wonderful, even a necessary, but not adequate form of transformation. And this is why if all you're trying to do is think through things, if all you're trying to do and, and what, is, what is missing is truly the motivation behind it, the will behind it, the heart behind it. And only God himself can transform that. I just have spent way too many years believing the reason why people don't want to follow God is because they just don't understand or they just don't know. And the real truth is it goes far, far more than just reminders and teachers. Like we need God himself, we need Jesus himself to interrupt and to interject at this moment. Verse nine, the text finishes up. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one of this vision. 
until the Son of Man. So again, that title is not Son of Man. Jesus is like a man. It's talking about his human side. That's not it, Son of Man. Um, Coming in glory, righteous, end-time figure. That's who Jesus is. Don't say anything until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And then the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes, or the religious experts, say that Elijah must come first? He answered, Elijah does come first, and he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him. And they did to him whatever they please. Now, if that's not eerie, well, when Elijah comes, well, he did come. What did we do to him? We killed him. Okay, wait, so we, we killed the prophets. Yeah. And who's the next one? Jesus. Because they didn't recognize him. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. They're beginning to connect the dots. And the, the part that is kind of lingering at the end of this text is now all of a sudden they have this new insight, this new visual memory of the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, but they still have to see God's ultimate plan work out in front of them. Here's an interesting question. So let's say it's like six months between this particular moment and the time when Jesus Christ um, uh, is in the garden and betrayed and Peter lies about him and the disciples scatter. How, especially for Peter, James, and John, how did you miss that? Like, where did that go? And I'll tell you, there is just something about threats. There is something about temptation. There is something about that that just makes things complicated. It's easy for us to sit here and say, but how could you doubt after seeing all of that? And I I guarantee you when we get to heaven, a lot of people are gonna come up to us and say, with all that you had, how did you doubt? With all of what God revealed to you, how did you struggle? With the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, why, why did you still give in to sin? But one of the primary reasons why was that the full promise of who Jesus Christ is meant that there was going to be a time where things looked different than reality. I mean, this is what I keep coming back to. I keep coming back to the amazing truth that God in his providential plan decided not just to stand up in heaven and go, you all need to figure this out. I'm coming down there soon, you better be good. But instead, he sends his son, and his son is then rejected, and and that is God's plan? If you want to know why the disciples struggle with this, is because in real time and in the real moments, Jesus, with all of his splendor, also looked like this, Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 31, same Jesus, And then the soldiers took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered a whole battalion before him and then they stripped him. So he's unveiled. This is Jesus right here. This this guy, some form of nakedness. Like, could you do that to God? If, if I were to say to you, hey, I'm God, I, I, I truly am, like I'm God, 
How many of you would hit me or tell me to do something and then the fact that I couldn't do it or the fact that I somehow you, you showed your powerfulness over me, you would go, well, that just proves it. I know you're not. How many of you, you know what I'm talking about? And they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him and they began twisting together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and he took it. Proving what? Yeah, right. I mean, if he was God, you know what he'd do? They put it on his head and they put a reed in his hand like a staff, like a ruling staff. And kneeling before him, they mocked him. Question, like, do you believe that you could just walk into the presence of God and begin to mock him and have him do nothing? How many of you believe that? How many believe that if you ever could walk into the presence of God and mock him, he would do something? I mean, I, I, I get how it would just confuse everyone. Hail, king of the Jews, and then they spit on him. Question, can you spit on God? Anybody? Can you spit on God? Okay, the, the, the crazy answer is yes to that, that question. Because if you can't spit on God, then Jesus wasn't him. They spit, him, uh, spit on him and they took a reed and they struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him again of that robe and they put on his own clothes on him and then they let him out to be crucified. Question, can you kill God? The answer is yes. When it's his plan, when it's amazing picture of his grace, when it's his mercy, and I don't know why, I have to believe in some level the reason why Peter and James and John were blessed with this incredible preview, this unveiling, this unfiltering, this undiluted picture of Jesus is because of the pictures they were about to see. And I need you to hold on to this, Jesus says. I need you to hold on to this until after the resurrection because you are about to go through crazy town. You're about to go through images of me that you'll never be able to get out of your head and I need you to hold on to this one, but just don't say anything until after the resurrection because only after the resurrection will all of the fullness of me make sense. I still believe this. I know that in Israel, where I happened to be earlier this year, I know that in Israel, the number one reason why people have no problem disregarding Jesus is because the Jews didn't accept him and we killed him. And I look and I go, huh, that's funny. Those are the two reasons why I believe him. Because <laughs> he said it was gonna happen in accordance with the scriptures. He prophesied it was going to happen. Jesus said it over and over and over again. This is exactly what is going to happen. And then it becomes at moments like this that you and I have to ask the question, are we in love with ideas about him? Or do we truly love him? Like the fullness of who he is. Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. His name is Jesus.
and John, the great apostle that Jesus loves, is going to see Jesus again before he dies. He's on an island. He is um, old. He has been completely disregarded by almost everybody else. He's literally in exile. And at the beginning of the revelation, he sees Jesus and he writes this. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead because of his splendor. And John knows what it's like to fall at Jesus' feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, fear not, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have in my hands the keys of death and Hades. And at that moment, John goes, I recognize you. I've seen you before. I've seen you on a mountaintop and I've actually seen you in a boat and I've I realize that, Jesus, that it is by your grace that we get different pictures of you. Listen, I'm not trying to take away from you the, the Jesus that is by your side and closer than a brother or a sister. But I just know that every single one of us at some point in time in our lives are going to need someone more than that. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the only one who is more. He's the only one that at the end of all of this that we will see face to face. And, and, and I pray that that day when you, I believe that all of us one day will see him unfiltered. We will see him undiluted, unveiled. And we will fall at his feet as though dead. And those of us that have trusted in him, that have learned to love him and worship him and follow him and obey him, We'll feel the hand on our shoulder and he will say, have no fear for you are mine. You know what that's like? Not, not ideas about Jesus, his hand, his voice, his life. That is what God desires for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the challenge of living in this world where things look veiled and filtered and diluted. And I, I know the temptation to, to, to really wrestle with who you are based on the events of my life and of uh, the world. And yet, you stand above and over all of those things. And truly, to be a Christian is to have eyes of faith that see beyond, that see through. And all of that really comes as just a, a gift from you as grace. So I pray that, that for those of us who know the voice, who recognize the truth about Jesus Christ, that we would be comforted by his presence and all of his splendor, and that we would learn to, to love and to follow and to obey him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.